7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. And a very good evening. Welcome to the show. Luyolom Kalipi is the producer. Sylvester Komane is in technical and I am Tabiso Mosia. Another dramatic day at the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia where the last African hope Senegal have been knocked out and they've been knocked out in a very unique way. And uh, our man Mo Ali will tell us exactly what's transpired today and whether it has ever happened before. And then we'll go over to London. That's where we will find Argentine football writer Marcela Mora. Iraq Arakio, as we try to understand the strange behavior of a living legend in Diego Maradona, but it's really not funny anymore. It is sad to see an icon in that state, and Marcella will tell us what is going on with El Diego. And is he going home? Has he been stripped of his ambassadorial duties, as some have been reporting today? Then, as promised yesterday, we will speak to Nil Tovi today, Safa's technical director. Unfortunately, we couldn't get to him last night because of the show that we had. And as I mentioned, we just want to understand his vision. Uh, he's been in charge now f- since 2015 and uh, we un- understand um, what has he done so far and, and what is his vision going forward. But firstly, let's go to our man on the ground, Mo Ali. Mo, good evening. What a dramatic day. Take us through what happened today. Can we say good evening to you? It's not a good <laughs> evening at all, Tavisa, exactly, unfortunately. Hey? Historic day in FIFA World Cup history because it's the first time that the team has actually advanced via the fair play rule, which basically means that Colombia beat Senegal by a goal to nil, that goal coming from Yeri Mina, a header, a thumping header. But you've got to be surprised, given the height and the physical strength of the Senegalese team, that they're not able to defend corners and not able to do better at set pieces on the attack as well. But uh, be that as it may, 74 minutes, Yeri Mina with a header from a corner to uh, score the only goal of the match. And uh, after uh, Senegal were initially given a penalty by uh, the same referee, the Serbian referee who handled the uh, UEFA Champions League final earlier in, in May, uh, he, uh, Sadio Mane was brought down in the penalty area by Davidson Sanchez, the man who plays for Tottenham Hotspur. But uh, t- VAR and television replay showing that Sanchez had just got to the ball first. So correct decision. And uh, that would have given Senegal the uh, perfect start. Remember, Senegal only needed a draw to advance uh, to the uh, second round and unfortunately that goal from Yerimina. And then Senegal threw numbers forward. Why they didn't do that earlier on? But uh, they just showed a toothless side of the attack and uh, we've seen that uh, throughout this tournament from the Senegalese and unfortunately not able to get the goal that would have taken them through. Meanwhile, Poland did them a favour by beating Japan by a goal to nil and uh, that means that Colombia finished top of the uh, top of the group and uh, uh, Japan and uh, Senegal actually finished on the same number of points four, same goal difference, same number of goals scored, same number of goals conceded and they had to go to the disciplinary record and uh, Senegal with six yellow cards and Japan with four means that Japan are through and for the first time in 36 years Africa won't have a representative in the second round of uh, the World Cup. And interestingly, a very, uh, just an interesting bit yeah. of trivia, Tabi. So in 1982 was the first time Africa uh, had two teams at the World Cup. And uh, Germany and Austria uh, contrived a result that saw uh, oh. Germany win by a goal to nil that uh, uh, elbowed Algeria out yeah. of uh, the second round. And oh. uh, from that uh, tournament onwards, we had the uh, last group games being played at the same time on the same day. Wow. And tonight, England-Belgium, you're expecting fireworks or a dull nil-nil draw? Uh, I expect a dull game because both teams have made lots of changes and uh, probably don't want to finish top of the group because that means that there's a likely quarterfinal against Brazil awaiting them. Okay, Mo Ali, thank you for that. There you had it. Decided on Yellow Card Senegal out of the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia. Unbelievable stuff. At SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. And now let's go over to London. That's where we find Argentine football writer Marcela Mora e Arajo. Uh, just to understand what is going on with the legendary Diego Maradona, a man that is loved all over the world. And South Africa is no different. Uh, but there were people who raised concerns when they saw him on TV in that win over Nigeria. And Marcela joins us on the line. Marcela, good evening and thank you very much for joining us on SAFM in South Africa. Hello, good evening. Firstly, as a journalist from Argentina, were you surprised by the antics of Diego during that match, uh, that win over Nigeria? Or is it something you've seen too many times before? Uh, 
from Diego, it's not surprising at all. I wouldn't want to say that because I'm from Argentina, it's not surprising. Mm. Like, he really is the only person that behaves like that in the world. He's not representing a, a nation or a creed. But uh, no, it's not surprising. It was slightly alarming when he needed medical attention, and that was still in plain sight of the cameras. And I think... Again, that's not new. He's often needed medical attention. And as it turns out, he was just kind of having his pressure taken and it wasn't, you know, but, but news wires went overdrive and it, mm. for a bit there was this kind of Maradona hospitalized breaking news going on. And even that wouldn't be surprising because that's happened before. So he is, um, he does play close to the edge and he's always done that. And I'm, I wrote a, a piece for the Times of India today, slightly tongue-in-cheek, uh, suggesting that that is part of his godlike qualities, of which he has many. And we do tend to uh, think of him as a human deity, in a way. And I think one of the reasons why he's kind of gained that status, as it were, is because he is so very, very human and imperfect and flawed, and still... In, with his utter honesty, there's nothing devious about him. Even his kind of blatant hand goal against England, which is the yeah. thing the English most remember, is not. It's a totally transparent thing to do. It's not. It's not hidden. He didn't pretend he didn't do it or arrange a match behind the scenes or you know. So I think that kind of uh, totally human, completely extreme, extremely talented, extremely fun, extremely clever extremely flawed, extremely substance-dependent, extremely offensive in a way. I mean, his gestures were, certainly by the kind of British politically correct classes, considered incredibly offensive. Mm. I think a lot of football fans around the world thought the funny side because I think secretly everybody has a horrible thought about mm. an opponent on the pitch at some point. But uh, there's, been, there's been some incredible jokes and memes online about it. And, and the one that made me laugh the most today was one that captioned that image of him doing his two fingers up at, who knows, the world, saying, and then he saw his ex. So oh. <laughs> I, I think Argentinians are finding the funny side, and I hope so can the rest of the world. <laughs> so just to be clear, he wasn't taken to hospital. He was just treated at the stadium by the paramedics. Apparently so. I mean, he was then, later that evening, flying to Moscow on his private plane and tweeting messages of, thanks for the concern, I'm fine. And he has a TV show on Venezuelan TV, which he was as normal yesterday. And again, they were talking about how many times will they kill you, Diego, and which is the line of a famous Argentinian song. It says, oh. So many times you've killed me, so many times I've, res I've resuscitated. <laughs> So, yeah, I think he really wasn't close to, 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 to a serious medical incident. And I wouldn't, that's not to say that he might not be quite soon. He has been many times. Yes. You know, he's had heart conditions, stomach stapling. He's really been unwell in a serious way. But this wasn't one of them. <laughs> so what was it then if he wasn't unwell, <laughs> Marcella? Well, I, I suspect he has a very he has a self-confessed history of substance abuse, yeah. both legal and illegal, and I suspect that he hasn't waned that habit at all. He then said it was just white wine. Uh, when I tried to publish, um, you know, he he's been a cocaine addict for for some time, and he's also rehabbed from it, and he's often discussed this addiction that he's had. I don't know what he was on. I can't possibly say. And, be and and before publishing every story that I've written about him in the last 15 years, people do get lawyers in to check. So I don't want to say on your mm. show, oh, this is what he was doing. But I do know that he has been hospitalized for eating too much pizza, for example, or just oh. explosive cocktails. He may be took a sleeping pill one day and then took something else, alcohol or whatever. So... With him, it's the cocktails, and and I think that trans translates onto his life and his game. And when he was manager of Argentina as well, which is it's the cocktail of paranoia and driven desire to win, 
and you know uh, then he would explode against uh journalists and lash out and and swear in at press conferences he said some outrageous things i was right there in uruguay like when he started just screaming at all the press in the world that they were you know and just a string of obscenities and again you know lawyers from newspapers around the world would call me up and say are you sure about this and i was like well i was right there it was a, a, a world press conference at an international game he said it you know it's on record he said it with a microphone from the translator so he obviously doesn't have a problem hiding these things but i don't i don't want to say oh he committed some sort of crime that i'm not aware that for a fact he committed i do know he's somebody who has throughout his life dabbled in things that in some societies are outside of the realm of the law and certainly dabbled in behaviors that are completely outside the parameters of what we deem acceptable mm -hmm. and i think that's part of the reason why for for many he is a hero and for others he is a completely objectionable person and i was about to ask i mean is he getting away with all of this because he is diego maradona after all well in a way yes and in a way who knows what you know what's cause and what's effect in in a way, maybe if he wasn't Diego Maradona and he hadn't been subjected to such public scrutiny from a very young age and he wasn't exposed to um, cameras and everybody following his every move and trying to touch him and be near him and want some kind of, you know, if he hadn't been so suffocated by the being Diego Maradona karma, he might not have ended up so extreme. It's impossible to know. But I always remember... Uh, many years ago, he shot at some journalists with yes, an air rifle because they were doorstepping his house and they were, they were actually flying helicopters very low on top of the garden to to get pictures of the swimming pool where his little daughters were. Now, in England, that, that was outlawed some years ago. But in Argentina, there don't seem to be laws that respect the privacy of children like that. I don't know what, what is it what the case is in South Africa. But he was clearly beside himself with anger and he just took a, an air rifle and shot at the journalist. Now, of course, that was a massive scandal and he had to go to court. And I remember his defence lawyer telling me that what they had uh, tried to do in a meeting with the judge was explain that because of a very high-profile, public profile of Maradona, there was enormous media scrutiny, enormous media pressure, and would it be possible to perhaps reduce access to the gallery and treat some of the kind of issues privately and, you know, to understand that the fame in this case could weigh against the culprit in what was meant to be a normal conversation with a judge in a high-profile case. And the judge apparently said, yes, yes, of course. And then as soon as Maradona joined the meetings... The first thing the judge did was pull out an Argentina shirt and ask him for an autograph and a photograph. Oh, no. So that, to me, that's a really beautiful illustration of how, of course, in a way, being Maradona has got him off the hook, although not that much, because he has been in trouble with the police, he has been in court cases, his associates have been in jail at different times, and he has been down and out. But then he's always reinvented himself and gained a new position of, you know, as a TV presenter or as a national manager or um, uh, now he's some kind of FIFA ambassador. I'm sure FIFA will think again about that because the cameras were on him throughout the match and there isn't one moment that redeems him. But do you know what I'm saying? Mm. I think he's not just a terrible person that behaves badly and gets away with it because he's Maradona. He is Maradona, and then there is a whole new kind of universe that applies to that status. And there's no one else quite like him, so no one else gets treated quite like him. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about him here all the way in South Africa. And and just finally now, uh, Marcela, is, you've already touched on this. He's clearly a FIFA ambassador from what you're saying and being paid by FIFA then to attend the matches. Is he still an ambassador? Because some reports today are saying he's been relieved of his duties. Is there any truth to that? So I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. I haven't got to the bottom of it um, as, as in terms of having it confirmed one way or another. I don't know if he's on a, on a salary. I know uh -huh. he's close to the new FIFA uh, 
chairman Infantino, mm. and he was always very active trying to kind of topple the powers that be before, Blatter, Avalanche, Grondona, and, you know, in a, you've got to give him credit. He wasn't far off the mark when he said that these guys are crooks, you know. it was uh, That was a discourse of his for a very long time. So I suspect, as I say, that there will be some truth in FIFA reviewing his official role, but I don't think they'll stop. I mean, a lot of ex-players are invited by FIFA and are part of the show and are considered FIFA ambassadors just through virtue of having won a World Cup or had a very good performance. And I can't imagine that Maradona would be uh, expelled completely, but he might be, and and it wouldn't matter at all, neither to him nor to anybody. Everybody would still have the same opinion um, in terms of it having a meaningful impact on something, whether or not you're a FIFA ambassador or a FIFA official, something isn't really an issue when it comes to the love of football. <laughs> okay, what a, what an interesting story. What an interesting human being. He is this Diego Maradona. Marcela, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us here in South Africa. We really appreciate the insight that you've given us on Diego Maradona. We love him so much here. And I, I don't think he can do any bad, uh, El Diego Maradona, even here in South Africa. Thank you for having me on. And I'm really sorry that there are no African teams left. Bye-bye. In the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, Marcela. Bye-bye. It was nice speaking to you. Abiso <laughs> Musia on SAFM. Yes, that's me, and we are leading the conversation right here on SAFM. And now as we continue, how was our guest today uh, trying to sneak in that comment at the end? I'm sorry about no African teams. She just wants to rub it in there, Marcella, but very nice interview. She gave us great insight into the only one, the one and only El Diego Maradona. But uh, back home, as we continue to find reasons for our decline as far as South African football is concerned, well, mainly as far as Bafana Bafana is concerned, um, I've mentioned previously that it's not all doom and gloom because the junior teams... not doing too badly they're qualifying for these youth tournaments they're qualifying for the world cup and to get an understanding of what's happening at the bottom uh, we are joined on the line by national team under 17 coach coach mulefinzeke who's also an analyst on sabc sport uh, during the world cup coach good evening and thank you for finding time to speak to us good evening to you Tavisa, and your listeners and thanks for having me Coach, everybody's not happy that Bafana Bafana not at the World Cup. But as I mentioned, the junior teams have qualified for World Cup re- World Cups recently. As far as you're concerned, how does the future uh, Bafana look for you? Look, uh, the reality of football is that um, you are born talented. You carry the qualities of a talented footballer. But you have to go through all the processes of development, coaching and training. And in this case, uh, we need to understand that uh, it is not necessarily about Bafana Bafana. It's, it's how you get to Bafana Bafana. Yeah. So getting to Bafana Bafana, it means it has to start from the grassroots. Grassroots, youth football, junior football, and then you graduate to under-23, and ultimately you find yourself playing for Bafana Bafana based on the qualities that you have as a player. Uh, which is exactly where you are with the juniors. Tell us about the under-17s that you are coaching. Firstly, for you, what's been the highlight of your time with these juniors? Look, I think I started with the juniors um, way back when I was still uh, an educator. Yeah. Then um, in 2002, that's, uh, that's when I left uh, teaching. Then I became uh, a youth coach at Harmony Sports Academy yes. for five years. So uh, to cut the long story short, um, and then I joined Bluefontein Celtic in 2010. And 2011, 2012, I became head of development at Celtic. And that's where I discovered a uh, number of players that are currently playing um, in the PSL, the likes of uh, Tsepel Khotso, the likes of Tsepel Omrena. Then 2014, I joined uh, Safa as under-17 under um, head coach. Oh. So it has been um, a very interesting story in terms of uh, how I I started uh, with uh, the under-17 national team. And then we ended up uh, qualifying for African Youth Championship in Niger. And in Niger, we ended up uh, qualifying for, for the World Cup that was hosted by Chile in 2015. I'm going to go to that World Cup uh, quickly, but I just want to take you back. You mentioned Harmony. I know how successful they've been there in the free state. What's made them so successful, the likes of Harmony? What is it that, that people can learn from, the, from that kind of an academy? Look, I think uh, it is the, the structure that was established uh, and the, the, the selection criteria and also 
um, housing players at Harmony uh, Sports Academy, uh, giving them uh, academic uh, support and, and then getting uh, free training and also getting the focus as a, as a talented footballer, uh, having to train every day, having to prepare for your academic uh, uh, classes every day and then uh, play in the tournaments. I think uh, all that is important is um, uh, the quality that was identified because when I started Harmony Sports Academy, it was only about players coming from the free state. So I could uh, travel the length and breadth of free state looking for for players. And uh, those who were highly talented uh, were the ones who were brought to Harmony Sports Academy. And it was um, a trial period of three months. Uh, the first term of of of, of schooling, uh, it was a trial period for all the kids that were were brought into into the centre. And then after um, uh, Easter holidays, then we'll be starting to to get uh, playing minutes uh, for those players. Oh. Now, fast forward 2015 World Cup in Chile. You went there with the under 17s. Uh, you didn't make it past the group stages. But how do you look back at that tournament, coach? I think uh, we, we should firstly um, celebrate um, the, the generation that uh, took us to, to 2015 World Cup. Oh. Um, These were the boys who were talented. Look, in the under-17, you, you don't talk experience because for you to play the World Cup, you must play the World Cup for the first time. If you play it once with the under-17, you can't even go back and play again. That's according to the FIFA rules. So it means that when you take a team to the, to the, to the World Cup, the under-17 team, it will be a brand new team all the time. You are not going to talk any experience because those boys will be becoming 17 and then they will be having that only chance to play in the World Cup. So I think it was a, a very good experience and uh, I had a very good uh, technical team support staff and these were the people who were supporting me throughout. And I think the success of that team came from um, the structures, came from the support I got from the coaches, from the clubs, coaches, from the academies. But the most important thing, it was uh, the type of players we took to, to the World Cup. Mentally, they were very strong technically highly talented and uh, they had a higher level of uh, technical endurance in terms of how we wanted them to play in that World Cup. And and we hardly see any young players in the UPSA Premiership or even in the NFD, no 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds. So where do you find your players for the national teams? Look, uh, you get them from schools tournaments, you get them from clubs, you get them from academies, you get them from regions. And then when you when you select these players and you bring them uh, into camp um, in Johannesburg, uh, they normally show a lot of uh, low self-esteem because coming into the national team for the first time, it is always a, a challenge for them. But I think uh, uh, mentally we have done very well in terms of uh, blooding them in, making proper induction into the into the national team, and making them understand that uh, um, everything is very different from the clubs, from from the schools, from wherever they come from. This is a national team setup. Everything we do is very professional. We have got a professional medical team. We've got professional coaches, and the standard is a bit higher because it is also important for us um, to take uh, um, our level to. To, 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 to a professional level so that uh, mentally we can we can prepare and produce uh, good quality players. And now from 2015, how many of these players graduated to the under-20 and, and went to the under-20 World Cup in 2017? I would say 60, 60, oh. 70% of them went to the AYC in Zambia yeah. with Coach Tawe and myself and Coach Hellman. And 50% of them went to the World Cup in uh, in South Korea. So um, I would say 10% of them are playing overseas. They have gone overseas. And uh, I would say another 10% of them, uh, I, might, I might not be spot on in terms of oh. the statistics, but um, we have a few of them that are playing now in the PSL. And and uh, there's a lot of been said, coach, about Vision 2022. How confident are you that some of these boys then will be will become part of this team in 2022 or or, or the stars of, of Vision 2022? Look, I think um, we if if ever we have to um, we have to look deeper into um, the the success story of the under 17s and also going forward into Vision 2022. We have a uh, wise man, Yua. Yeah who is currently playing for Kaiser Chiefs, who has played for 
the under-17 team, who has played for the under-20 team, who has played for Bafana Bafana. We have Kulakanu Kubeka, who has done the same. Um, these are the players that have gone through the under-17 structures. We also have um, Lyle Foster, who was a part of us uh, in the under-17 team that played in the Bricks tournament. We have Luke Leroux, we have Luke Fliers. These are the boys that came through. And um, recently, we, we, we saw Kobamelo uh, Kodisang moving from Platinum Stars to, um, to Bitvers Vets, and he's also playing for the under, and, and he also played for under-17 World Cup and also under-20 World Cup. Finally, coach, as we let you go, I know you work hand-in-hand with the under-20 coach you've mentioned and also with Stuart Baxter. How vital is this continuity? It is very important because, like I say, you need to understand the demands of uh, senior football, the demand of high performance, so that when you prepare these youngsters, you really understand and know in terms of your preparation, how to go about, what are the, the most important aspects of development that you need to start instilling in these boys as young as, as 16. So uh, that, that relationship, it works wonders for, for, for our development. It works wonders for our, our, our Vision 2022 in terms of players graduating from under 17, under 20, and ultimately going to a fun of a fun. But I think uh, another very important phase of development um, it is the under 20. The under 20 is actually a performance, performance phase because development is from three until 18 plus. From 18, then it means it has to be performance. So the under 20s, they will graduate into under 23. We saw some of them graduating last time and also play in the Olympic team. And currently we can, uh, we can always uh, refer to uh, that team and uh, speak about uh, uh, Keegan Dolly. These are the players who played uh, all the levels of, uh, of uh, SAFA uh, structures. And currently he's playing overseas and he's playing for Bafana Bafana. Okay, Coach Malefinseke, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us and just giving us an understanding of what is happening in the junior structures, especially with your under-17s. I think they are in good hands from what we've seen and we wish you all the best going forward. Thanks very much, my brother, and thanks for having me. Thank you, Coach. Leading Sport Stories of the Day on SAFM. And we move right along now and we speak to SAFA's technical director, Neil Atovi, just to try and understand his vision better since we've been talking about Bafana Bafana and just South African football in general with the World Cup obviously happening at the moment. And he joins us on the line. And Neil, good evening and thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. We apologize for last night. We were just overwhelmed by what happened. Yeah, not a problem at all. Pleasure to be here. Neil, I mean, you've been in the position for some time now. How how do you describe the challenge that you were faced with in, in the beginning? How did you view it as? Yeah, obviously, like any any job, you, you need to, you know, it doesn't matter what your experience is in, in the game. Uh, is You just always got to do an analysis of of the environment, you know, and uh, that was needed and find out what was being done correctly, what wasn't being done and... and and then you have to obviously put uh, put your plans in place, and then obviously the implementation. So uh, it's been a it's been a, a journey that's that's you know has been frustrated uh, frustrating at times, but then uh, it's been very very enjoyable now when implementation starts because you know you want to just get straight into the job and get things done, but that's not always the correct way. You have to know what you need to do and then to do it more effectively. And what is the first thing that you felt needed to be addressed, Neil Tovey, when you took over, when you took charge? Well, you know, my, my, my job as technical director has a lot of different facets to it. And, uh, you know, I've got uh, six, seven entities to, to my, my job description. Obviously, national teams, it, it plays a big, big role. Um Coach education, youth development, which includes elite youth development, with Maliti is discussing with you. You know, obviously grassroots football, women's football, referees, medical. So there are a lot of different areas that 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 uh, falls under my jurisdiction. But the areas that I felt that were were needing huge attention was was in the provinces and in the regions uh, and in the phase, uh, the development in those areas. You know, um, uh, we we need more more youngsters playing the game than what we have, and it's a big big challenge to us. We need schools football to start getting back on track. 
Uh, it was a very, very strong force uh, in the past. Uh, you know, we need our elite programs to start taking effect. And when we do that, we'll be able to then even get a better, a better national team. So if you do the groundwork and do the right groundwork, uh, you, you will produce better national teams. And our junior national teams are doing really, really well at this moment in time. Oh. We just need to take them to another level, as Malifi was alluding to. We spoke to Mr. Dennis Mambul and Reali Dwaba the other day, and they were telling us that there are now technical directors, I think, across the country in the different provinces. Was that part mm-hmm. of your vision? Yeah. Um, well, it was, it was part of the association's vision a while back, but when I got into the job, it was my first sort of area where I thought, okay, I will now make it happen. And it had never happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my... And obviously, you, you've got to... You've got to make sure that you have the right people down in those structures. People that are going to work it tremendously, uh, tremendously hard and, and put a lot of time and effort into it. They've got to be well educated so they, because they've also got to run your coach education programs in the provinces because they're all instructors. Oh. They're all coach instructors. So the plan was to those 18 technical directors or technical officers provincial technical officers, as we call them, PTOs, they are there to, you know, they have all got the qualification, CAF A uh, qualification and above, uh, and they are all instructors, and we, we are going to now make them CAF instructors, the highest instructor you can get on the continent, so that they can even do the highest of, of, of courses uh, on the continent in the regions and in the provinces. So, so that was, you know, first look at what is needed uh, in the structures down below. Obviously, put into effect uh, the the correct technical know-how down there because I believe that a lot of the people that were uh, in 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 the, in the different roles within the, in the provinces were not adequately technically minded, uh, and obviously then there, there's gaps gaps in the in the, in the program. So those were the, the initial thought processes. And with any plan or vision, Aniltovi, you do need a buy-in. Have you received support from the football community since you took over? Yeah, so, you know, I've definitely, I mean, SAFA have been really, they, you know, a lot of different pictures and I get put on SAFA and, and, and it's totally, you know, SAFA gets judged by the senior national team before before unfortunately, by, by the masses, uh, by everybody and, and sometimes rightly so and sometimes incorrectly, but in terms of youth development and putting things together, you know, we've, there's a lot of a lot of good work being put in in in, in the association, and uh, and uh, which is not getting recognised, uh, and and should be getting recognised. You know, uh, yes, we want to have a very very successful Bafana Bafana. Um, I don't believe we're far away from it. I think it's just basically a, an entity of. Of uh, when it comes to match situations, we don't win the big moments. We don't have the caliber of, of players that are mentally tuned in and strong for the for for those particular big moments in the game at this moment in time. And uh, how are we got to do that? We've got to obviously then put it into our structures. And and that was what Malifi was 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 talking to about. Where where while wow, wow, we've got uh, them involved with the senior national team because. In our junior national teams, we need to get those big moment situations and, and those players down there better equipped to it. So when they do reach the, the senior age, that they will handle those situations in, in a better in a better way. It's not always easy because you know uh, players are mentally tuned differently, and there's no one one stop solution. But uh, we are working in all aspects that we can make them more more game and match hardy. Uh, if I can term it uh, in the correct term, to make them battle-weary and, and, and you know, can live in those because you can't go away as Bafana Bafana and beat Nigeria in Nigeria and quite comfortably at that and then come back and lose to Cape Verde at home. You know, it's just, it's just not possible how that can happen. It's purely it's not one of talent, it's purely one of mental attitude. Which I think is what Riali Dwaba was also alluding to when we had it in studio. If you've just joined us, we are talking to Safa's technical director, Neil Tovey, just to try and understand how his time in charge has been and what his vision is. If you have any questions, do join the conversation. 0891104207, our SMS line 40938, our WhatsApp number 0614104107.
Call Tabiso now. 0891-104-207. And we're still talking to Nil Tovi. Nil, uh, we spoke to Clive Barker actually last week and he told us how the 96 team used to play. From your side, how do you think the current Bafana team should play? Or, or our guest, the juniors, are you trying to promote the same type of football all round? You know, you know, football, you have to adapt. We're talking the 96 team, which is 20-odd years ago. You know, obviously, yeah. as you know, football has evolved. And, it, you know, it, 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 it continues to evolve uh, year in, year out. And uh, so, yeah, you, you, you know, you just want a very good blend of players that, that, that have a different talents. You know, you can't have uh, 11 Dr. Kamalas. You can't have, yeah. uh, you know, 11 Lucas Khadabis in a team. You know, you've got to have that good blend that they complement each other. And that's what we've got to be looking for in our national teams, that, that we can have a, a great blend of players, not all playing one particular style, because as you see, as even it shows in this World Cup, that, you know, in different games and match situations, you have to adapt to different situations. And it can come in one particular game. You might have to play three different types of, of, of a game that's given, given different circumstances. But that's the way the, the new... Football game has gone, and uh, you know you've got to have the, the, the capacity to change the game plan at any moment in time. Uh, you know, so that 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 you, you know because somewhere in the game, the opposition is going to dominate, and and good and great teams make that time of uh, a very little time. You know, there's not many minutes that the opposition dominates the great teams. There's always going to be a time that it does, but and limited limited to to the less less time as possible, least time as possible. So. So that's what it's game management that, that we really, really got to bring into our teams. And that's what we're trying to bring into our national teams. Hmm. I, I'm trying to understand, are you trying to get all the national teams to play the same way? Or like you're saying, it, it depends on the situation. It, it, it can depend on the situation because, you know, you can't, you know, when you're playing at home, your, your game strategy and game philosophy might change. You know, the entity of it, or the, the, the philosophy of our football will always be along the Samaya line, either a creative, skillful, or nature type of, of, of player, you know. Um, but the, the game nowadays doesn't only need that requirement. You could be in, 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 in the Congo on a, on a very bumpy field, and, and, and you've got to know when to do it in the right areas of, at the right time. So, so you know, it, it's not as easy as you know, saying to say that we only have one philosophy and that's how we must play it, no. The football of today, you must be able to adapt the, the way you approach the game given the situation. There's also in this, and, and, and you can see in this World Cup, it's very, very evident to the, the best teams in this World Cup are teams that, that manage the tournament. They play tournament football, so they've got to do the necessary in tournament football. And, 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 and then you get to the knockout stages, then your whole game, game, uh, changes. So that's the way you've got to be able to be alive with the way that, that tournaments are played or where it's a, the once-off game that all varies. So, so you've got to be adaptable in every single situation. Uh, we heard you a couple of weeks ago on our sister station Metro and you were talking about how the teams should play with Ubuntu. What did you mean by that? Yeah, our philosophy is a better than Ubuntu. So that, that's the character that we have in our country, the togetherness, the diversity of of our people, of our players uh, coming together and, and playing and, 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 and working hard and passionate about the game. Then we have the entity, as I just discussed about the Samaya, a creative, we are sponsored by nature type of players. That, that we, need, we need those type of players. We need to uh, keep uh, those players, we, we need to make sure that they are confident in their play because there's match situations that you need. You need those Ronaldo moments which can go past players that skillful, whether it's a one-two in school, whether it's a, it's a, a one-v-one. Uh, you know, you need those moments to break down teams. You see how teams are defending the numbers and it's, and it's the best teams in the world have those game breakers. And we mustn't go away from that because we have that talent. We have the possible, uh, the possible players to, to break down our position in a given moment because of their skill. But the worst aspect of our game at this moment is a third aspect, and that is Picati, is the scoring of the goals. Uh-huh. It, and that doesn't come from tapping the ball in in the box or, or shooting. It, it also develops around how we're going to break teams down, uh, that the, the, the delivery of the cross, 
how good is the cross, how effective is the cross, how good is our, our, our dead ball situations in the final third, uh, and it's that ability of putting numbers in the box, getting midfielders coming from deep into into forward positions to create extra numbers, uh, to make the correct running off the ball, uh, the space created, working when you haven't got the ball, when you have got the ball. So there's loads of moments that you have to bring about and bring into our coach education programs, which we are doing. Oh, great stuff. Let's go to the lines here. Archie in Volcom, you've been holding. Nil Tov is on the line. What's your view or comment? Gentlemen and Mugugu, good, good evening. Good evening to you guys. Now, my first question is that now, um, Mr. Tovi, as we are talking now, Bafana Bafana is not in Russia. That is a fact. I don't know what will your technical, whether you deal with that now, I mean, as a, one of the technical directors. Another issue is that now, would the real age and football age be, I mean, uh, the issue which is being dealt by you? So that now we can know this boy is really 19, he's not 23. Would that be I mean, a, a real I mean, a issue which you look uh, upon? Lastly, a few years ago, um, 10 years ago, we used to have 33 players who are playing abroad, not in South Africa. It does it mean now that number has gone down and we may no more get any I mean, uh, players? I thank you. Okay, thank you, Archie. We'll let Neil answer those. Neil, the first one is, why is why do you think Bafana is not in Russia? I think I've mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think we didn't manage our game game moments, big moments, uh, you know, and especially at Cadreda, we, we, we lost six points home and away. You know, we won nil away, and we won nil up away from home against Cadreda. We take a throw in uh, just outside their box, and we have players that are rushing forward, being taken out of the game because we throw the ball across the field. It goes down the other side. A little bit of chaos and defending, chaotic defending. And we, and we end up where we're taking a throw in, in their final second. We end up conceding the goal uh, in, uh, in, the, in the very next second. And then obviously the penalty in managing the So that was one situation on Tate Breda. Yeah. Then on Durban as well, we... You know, the, 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 the charges that we created, yes, okay, there was a few mistakes. So it's a, I'll carry on to it. It's a mental approach. As I said earlier, you can't beat Nigeria, tune all the way, come back and you can't beat Cape Verde. So oh. it's a mentality of the players and, and the discipline of the players uh, uh, in one aspect. The next question, I'm just trying to remember, it, what was it? It was age cheating. Is it a, still a serious problem? Okay, yes. Okay, that. Yeah, it, always, it will always be, an, uh, uh, but we are, we put measures in place. We are putting, with a mass offer situation where we, we have the registration of players which goes, which we are linking up to the Home Affairs database. Yes, uh, it, it's still in early phases, and obviously it's keeping databases of, of all the players that are in all the different leagues and the registration of those players. So, yes, it's not bulletproof. Uh, but it is. It has. It has. Uh, it has produced results, and we are putting measures in place for that. But as far as you get uh, parents and and coaches that want to cheat, it makes it very difficult sometimes. You know. Oh. But in, in, in that in that entity, we are putting measures in place. Yes. And then our players not going world. abroad. Yes, it's one of our biggest biggest problems that we have now in our game is the success of our own PSL. You know, um, I'll just make an example for you. Kune. Kune should have been overseas long, yeah. long time ago. He's an excellent goalkeeper. But if he was overseas, there's aspects of his game which, which he knows is lacking in terms of crosses and things like that. In, in Europe, they, they knock crosses across all the time. He would have had to deal with it. He would have become a much better goalkeeper for it. I'm just using one example. Sure. Obviously, so... And, 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 and that leads to the situation where we had, where we had lots of Lucas and them going and, and, and finding it difficult and tough to, to, to be abroad and to, and, 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 and to manage the situations abroad. It makes you much more hardy and, and battle-hardy, uh, whereas the, the players now are earning fortunes of money, which is really, really good for them, but they in their comfort times. They spoil, and they, and they, they are not working hard enough to make their game better. And for me, you know, uh, 
if you go into any of the leagues in Europe, you're playing with better players around you. There's more competitors, and that's what our players are lacking at this moment in time. Okay, I'm going to come to you, Silo, in Mokopane, and James and Jobek will wrap up with you with your calls after this quick break. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. Lots of people enjoying the conversation on social media from the reaction that I'm getting. I'll wrap up with the last two calls. Silo in Mokopane, Niltovi is holding on. Thanks, Kaviso. Look, Kaviso, I, 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 Look, I, um, I think the problem uh, with our players is um, we have players who have no passion and lack of discipline. And that's a fact. The only issue. Okay, Silo, we, seem, we can't seem to get it right with you in Mukopane. And let's go to James in Johannesburg, but I've got a, a, a bit of what you're saying. I think you're saying our players are not hungry enough. They've got no passion. Uh, James in Johannesburg, what's your view? How are you, Tabiso? Fine, thanks, James. Um, I've got a few questions for Neil. The first one is, when Neil played for Kaiser Chiefs, uh, the league back then, the NSL, used to have about 20 teams, and later on they had about 18 teams, so they had a bigger pool. The first division had about 80 teams in both coastal and inland stream. Does Neil think the number of PSL teams affect the quality that we can produce as a nation? That's the first, that's the first question. Because I understand he's talking about overseas. He's one of our greatest players who never went to play overseas. And he still technically was very great. What's his take? Does he think if Tan Safa and PSL talked about the number of teams in the PSL and the relegation system? Thanks. Okay, thanks, James. Neil, do you want to take that? It's been, it's been a topic of debate for some time. Should we increase the teams in the APSA Premiership? Look, obviously it will increase the number, but we're just thinking about the quality, you know. Um, whether I still feel that a lot of work needs to be done with the PSL teams to create that quality of players coming through. And as, as uh, call alluded to, the passion, yes. the passion to put the jersey over the shoulder each weekend, you know. Um, and doing the right things at the right time, you know, in the match, and and, and, and have this total, total professional attitude. You know, uh, a lot of the teams are called for that. But as I've said in the past, you know, you if you look at the, uh, the so-called teams or clubs, as you call them in the PSL, how many of them have really good development structures? So what do you call them? Do you call them clubs or do you call them teams, you know? Uh, there's loads of teams that don't have, have any junior development happening within and where are you creating that, that loyalty to the club and that passion to play for the club and that? You know, yes, the number of clubs in the PSL uh, creates an extra pool of what you, you get in a, if there's two teams, uh, extra pool of 60 teams, but you're still going to have the same players going around in circles, you know. Um, one of the problems I, I see a little bit is the number of players that are sitting on the bench in, in certain clubs that aren't getting game time. And those are are players that are sitting with the, with the better the better clubs, and they're not getting game time, and that's that's a, that's a worry that they get recruited to play, and then they haven't spent enough time on the pitch and getting game time. So that's a, that's another area oh. of concern. But uh, I forgot what his last area of uh, question was. I've got a question here from from Facebook. It's the last one from Tara, who wants to know from Kuku. Do you also regard South African style of football, which involves flair, skill, and agility, as showboating? No, if it's done in the right areas, we've got to we've got to. That's what we've got to educate and make the players. We don't want to stifle them in our coach education programs. We don't want to stifle the type of player that we have. Ability is unbelievable agility and ability on the ball. We do not want to stifle that. But they must know when it must be done, where it must be done, so that it can it can uh, it can disturb the opposition. That's what the entity of it must do. Must be able to get out of tight situations that you, that that can be creative and create goal scoring opportunities. Then there's absolutely no no you know no problem uh, at all about it. So so if it's done in the right areas, you do not want to stifle that. It. it is in our coach education program. Oh. Well, Hanil Tovi, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us on SAFM. Lastly, though, with the junior national teams qualifying for the World Cups, qualifying for the African Youth Championships, as we heard from um, from Coach Mulefinzek, a story that's hardly been, being told, do you think the future is bright? Is there enough to give you hope going forward? 
but certainly as you know, as Malithi alluded to, we he was in Chile uh, on the 17th in Chile World Cup, yes. uh, the World Cup that was in Chile in 2015. He's now looking to get to the World Cup uh, in 2019. And we also had our under-20s at the World Cup in Korea. We just have to take that next step to go to the knockout stages. And I was at both those tournaments, and uh, there were not many teams that were better than us. It was as again once again, coming back to the big game moments where we create opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net and then to manage that game situation. And that's where we get better at. And the more international matches that our teams play, that's also part of the programs that we need to put in place. We need to get our teams playing more often uh, against better opposition and and, and, uh, approaches coming into programs where they are, are playing in tougher opposition and better opposition so that when we get to major tournaments, we can manage those situations better. Great stuff. Neil Tovey, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. We at least understand a bit more of your vision and what you're trying to achieve, and we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Mkuku, the legend himself there, uh, Neil Tovey, who is in charge of our football, and um, he's just basically telling us about about what he wants to do with South African football and what he's done so far. There is a game about to kick off Belgium and England. We need to rush home, Loyola, but it's a dead rubber. Anyway, let's see how it, it will pan out. And on um, SMS, I forgot to read the SMSs. Uh, somebody says, Tabiso, please give the great Diego Maradona a break. Why should we pigeonhole those who are true to themselves? Diego is a brilliant human being because he's flawed like the rest of us. He mirrors our best and worst. It is why I love him. He is no Hong Kong. If Diego was South African, he would buy an, a house in Alex rather than Santin. He would chill at the Chisa Nyama. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure what I said. That makes you think that I'm not giving him a break. I mean, he's a legend. We all know that he's a legend. And that's what we're t- trying to, to highlight during the show and, and, and just but understand his behavior because it is a concern, guys. It is. It is. Health scares are not a joke. Substance abuse is not a joke. And uh, I, 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 and those are things that we also need to, to highlight and talk about. And then somebody else says, people must realize that all sports in the whole world has dropped. Let us give Nil Tovi and others a chance to come uh, better. And on social media, a lot of people still trying to understand why we must play with Ubuntu asking where are the goals if we're going to play with Ubuntu and um, yeah for those who've just joined us late we'll put up the podcast tomorrow morning as we always do just follow us on social media that's it from us up next uh, Mr. Ashraf Gada wants to know what's happening to Ahang he's going to be speaking to Ahang parliamentary leader Andres Tlouma in the big hitter feature between 8 and 9 I didn't even realize that they were still around Ahang so we'll find out from Mr. Ashraf Gada thank you Luyolo thank you Sylvester any suggestions, ideas, feel free to email Helen, sport at safm.co.za. My name is Tabiso Mosia. More sport in the morning with Brett Brown. News is next.